Good morning. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Mark DeVries, director of the new documentary Speciesism. The movie explores what really goes on behind the walls of factory farming operation, widening out to examine speciesism and features interviews with such prominent figures as Ingrid Newkirk, Peter Singer, and Temple Grandin. We'll discuss the film, what's on screen and what's behind the project, and maybe even what's ahead when we talk with Mark DeVries presently. Later in today's show, we'll have a brief chat with Kendra Bailey, owner of Health Mutt, natural pet market that manages to wear a number of other hats located in Seminole Heights and is celebrating its second anniversary this Saturday. Also toward the end of today's show and Name That Animal Tune we'll be offering as the prize a copy of The Genius of Dogs by Dr. Brian Hare, a recent Talking Animals guest who was kind enough to sign this copy of the book. We'll do all that later in the program. Right now though, Let's get to our discussion with Mark with a reminder that we invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663 or emailing us at dj at wmnf.org. Let's welcome Mark DeRees to Talking Animals. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Thanks for joining us today on Talking Animals. Thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. So now if I have this right, you you, you started working on on this film in college. How, I mean, how, how did that come about and how did you sort of first get interested in, in factory farming to begin with? That's right. I was 20 and I, I knew nothing, not just nothing about factory farming, but also nothing about filmmaking. Uh, and I just came across some demonstrations uh, and protests and things by uh, PETA. And I got curious about what they were protesting about. And so I ended up going to factory farms myself and speaking with the owners, as you see in the film. And then, and then finding out um, what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. So, how did the project really work then in the earliest days? I mean, you were you were juggling college courses and presumably, you know, other other demands on your time. First of all, what what were you studying in, in uh, college? Because you already noted that you weren't at least at right. that point a filmmaker. So, what what were you studying? What was your major? Right. I was actually a psychology uh, student, and it's it's interesting because some of that is actually quite relevant because. Uh, even in the film itself, uh, how people think about animals is, in fact, very confused. Yeah. Uh, people have a certain perception of dogs and cats, and then we think about animals like um, pigs and chickens very differently. And we also, just in terms of the difference between humans, our own species, and non-human animals, have this perception of this very big ethical divide where humans simply must be much more important. And that seems um, like it may well be a form of prejudice, similar to prejudices against groups of humans, thus the the term speciesism, by analogy with racism. And I actually ended up uh, taking a class on prejudice and discrimination, which was... um, which was um, surprisingly on point with a lot of what I saw in terms of our thinking about animals. Absolutely. Well, we're, you know, we're definitely going to delve more into speciesism in a moment. I, I, I guess I'd also be curious with all that going on. W- you know, were you doing other extracurricular yeah. activities while in school, or, or was that a pretty pretty full plate at that point? I was. I was not only not doing other extracurricular activities, but I also was not really doing many curricular activities, Uh, meaning I (laughs) I had my courses, but I really wasn't paying that much attention to them because I was focusing on the, uh, on the film. Yeah. Meaning I wasn't studying and and working. Uh, And I, so yeah, I would say I really, once I, once I started doing things like visiting the factory farms and as you see in the film, flying in the airplanes overhead and speaking with the neighbors about the, um, the environmental destructiveness. I, I became so engrossed in that, that that really became, uh, for a, a good, 
perhaps a year, the, the main thing that I that I did with my time. Yeah. Just to back up for one sec, Mark. So so when you um, were in school and you didn't, uh, you said early on, you know, didn't at that point know all that much about factory farming or even some of the related issues. And then you saw some protests and got interested. At what point did you say to yourself, uh, hey, um, I'm really interested in this and this could be or should be a film. I I actually was watching um, a film. I, I think I was watching uh, Michael Moore's Bowling for Columbine. Okay. Uh, just coincidentally, and it just it just kind of occurred to me that um, this uh, that this topic might be be useful to be placed into a documentary. And then I looked up documentaries on factory farming and animal rights, and I didn't see anything that quite took it from this angle that really um, uh, went into the investigation quite the way that I was thinking of doing it, and also that, that really talked about speciesism and spoke with some of these people like Peter Singer and, and so forth. So I, I decided to just go make that because it, it seems like it was sort of missing in the re- repertoire. Sure. Well, and also, as you know, uh, that one of the things that struck you at that time was Michael Moore, because one of the things that's really sort of a hallmark of this film is that not unlike the way Michael Moore does his films, it's sort of pieces in the movie sort of has a very kind of first person uh, voice and you're often on screen in the way that Michael Moore is. So I can see that there, there's some parallels there. But but once you had sort of got on that path and checked out other documentaries dealing with factory farming, I mean, once you said, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to make a documentary and, and there aren't really ones that do uh, have done some of the things I'm interested in doing. I mean, how, how did you envision the film relative to, to the movie that now exists? Oh, that's a good question. I, um, I, it was, at, at the beginning, I really thought that it was going to focus on the tactics of animal advocacy organizations like PETA, which mm-hmm. in hindsight seems uh, silly because that would, of course, although some of that is actually interesting, it's certainly uh, not as interesting as the topic of speciesism. Um, but that's what I, that's what caught my attention originally. And then I thought, well, I would go to these factory farms and, and sort of have confrontational interviews with the factory farm owners and see how, um, emphasize the fact that a lot of this is very intentionally shrouded in secrecy. The the way we keep animals on these, um, confined animal feeding operations is something that's very intentionally kept away from our, our knowledge as much as possible. So I, I thought I would come at it from that angle. Yeah. And it was actually when I was speaking with Bruce Friedrich, who was at the time with PETA and is now uh, working for Farm Sanctuary, mm-hmm. that he mentioned speciesism. And then I looked up Peter Singer's work and started moving in that direction. Well, let's let's hit, hit, hit a few things then in terms of your, your last response. One thing that, yeah, that, that you sort of touched on or at least alluded to is is that the film does feel a bit uh, sort of episodic at times, like that the, there are certain episodes or moments that then launch you towards another aspect of the film to, to sort of uh, explore and then incorporate. And, uh, right. you know, so that's, you know, very much yeah. kind of in keeping with the, with the journey that you've just described. But one of the right. things it that... it really was my, my experience. Yeah, like yeah, no, and, and, the, my journey. Yeah. and 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 yeah, it's one of the things I think that's really kind of refreshing and effective about it is it's like uh, you sort of make no bones on the film and and as you already have uh, here on, on on the interview that you know that you just sort of came to this not really knowing anything and so then you sort of just followed the path of like okay well I've heard this and I've learned this and I've explored this let's keep going so I can kind of educate myself and maybe along the way uh, enlighten others but um, and and you know one of the things that that uh, that goes with that is is talking about you know how. Uh, factory farming operations are really, you know, shrouded in secrecy, as you say. I mean, one of the aspects of the, uh, of the movie I found kind of most striking is the way the people at these factory farming operations react when you arrive at their facilities, or, or perhaps more accurately, don't don't react. Maybe maybe you could talk a little bit about that because, uh, um, you know, maybe like even the first uh, you know right. instance or two where you kind of stroll up to the entrances right. of these places. And presumably there's at least one person with you wielding a camera. And I think there's supposed to be, I think there's two people actually working with you on most of the shoots. So uh, anyways, just talk a little bit about that. Cause right. I, I found that like, you know, pretty, pretty stunning really. Yeah. I was, I was a little bit nervous when we first 
uh, started doing that. I, I didn't really know what the reaction was going to be. I wasn't sure if they were going to call the police. In fact, we even talk about that in the, in the film briefly, mm-hmm. uh, trying to decide whether or not what, what we should do if they call the police. But um, the first place we went to was an egg farm that actually advertised itself as a place that they, they suggest you come and visit. So we came and visited. Uh, but the the coming and visiting was actually for this little sort of egg store uh, right next to the facility. And when we tried to, um, or we actually did walk onto the facility itself right through the, the little no trespassing sign, which, of course, um, was not that helpful in terms of their perception of us. Yeah. Um, they, um, we, we came across the uh, one of the co-owners of the facility and yeah. um, started speaking with her about the sizes, for example, of the cages. And I was trying to get her to just perhaps um, give us a general idea of how many birds were placed in a single cage inside of these buildings that were behind us. And she, um, she, she had a very difficult time, as you see in the film. And that's um, telling, I think. Yeah. Well, but, but one of the things there, and I think there's some other similar encounters as the film unfolds, where, uh, I mean, again, in the face of these so-called ag-gag laws, whereby, you know, many, you know, at least a few states have outlawed shooting pictures or video of, of factory farming operations, and, and others, you know, at least so far, have tried to follow suit. It just feels like kind of this sort of amusing anomaly that that you did kind of stroll up there, that you weren't forcibly removed by a gigantic man named Tiny or anything else, and... and um I just couldn't help right. thinking that was partly because of, well, A, probably to some degree that, that you, you're you younger and you sort of, and your manner, which was very, very polite. And even, I think it was even the egg lady that you just mentioned that you you kind of approached it as, hey, I'm, we're, we're trying to refute the, uh, the rumor or refute the notion that hen cages are a certain size. So I think it was maybe just this sort of confluence of things. Because again, I mean, if I or virtually anyone else went up there with a camera, I mean, we be tossed out in two seconds and you you ended up having like some you know relatively extended chats with these people right well you have to uh, one thing i learned was that you have to approach it in a very innocent way as you describe and a very sincere way Mm -hmm. if if i'm really going there and i just want them to explain to me why these things can't possibly be true it can't possibly be that in these buildings behind us there are hundreds of thousands of birds in tiny cages for their entire lives in the dark, um, that would seem absurd. So all they have to do is explain to me that that's not true. Uh, so I just I just went up uh, from that perspective, and it was actually uh, at those, the, for example, the egg farm and the dairy farm that we went to, it was just me and my friend Alana, who was uh, the camera person there. Okay. So it was just the two of us, and we were uh, indeed very... Innocent looking. I mean, we're two yeah. young people with a camera. Okay, and I thought really it looked like mine. Okay, I thought it might have been a total of three because at, at the beginning of the film, you kind of introduce yourself and Alana, and there's uh, another gentleman Alex. who I think is working on his PhD that you uh, introduce as well. So uh, right, that's correct. But I went uh, either with one of them or the other. I see. Okay, so that also helped that it was spare, but still, nonetheless, showing up at those places, no matter who you are with a camera, I mean, just uh, yeah, it was just one of the things that really uh, you know I think accounts for the for the film being. Uh, effective because you did have some some of those exchanges and and uh, you know really kind of opened up some some insights a little glimpse. I mean, obviously, no one actually invited you inside, which you were hoping for. But I mean, Although you they know. did later, as uh, as you, we uh, if you remember later yeah. in the film, we actually are given a tour right. of the turkey farm. Yeah, and and we're on the other hand, were, were the things that didn't make it on screen that that maybe didn't go so well in terms of these sorts of uh, encounters at those operations? Uh, yes, well, we actually, not at one of the operations, but we um, we were trying to, as you see later in the film, uh, talk about whether or not the, the comparisons with things like slavery were, um, were are, are um, valid or if there's something fundamentally flawed about them and so forth. Uh, so we tried to initially get a lot of interviews with organizations uh, pertaining to those types of issues. And um, we had a lot of trouble initially 
getting those interviews. So we tried just, just showing up. And it was much more difficult to do since it was not a farm outdoors. It was the lobby of an organization. Right. So those are not in the film because they simply didn't come out as well. I see. Even though, admittedly, some of them are are pretty funny and probably will be in the outtakes on the DVD. Yeah, I would think that'd be that'd be a natural. Well, let me let folks know this is Talking Animals. If you just tuned in, my guest is Mark DeVries, director of the new documentary film, Speciesism, the movie. If you'd like to ask Mark a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663 or email dj at WMNF. Well, conversely, when you say that some of those things just didn't pan out and so those didn't make it into the film, I mean, the other thing, I guess, to me that that I found nearly as striking or maybe equally striking as as the way you did sort of have these kind of encounters with the factory farming folks is the parade of of prominent figures that you do end up uh, interviewing on screen, including, uh, we've mentioned Peter Singer and uh, Peter President Ingrid Newkirk at Temple Grandin. I mean, how, how did those interviews come about? The Ingrid Newkirk interview was uh, surprisingly straightforward. I I just um, called up and and um, and then came by, as you as you see, and that was actually the first interview of the film. And it was very it was very brief because they, you know I was just a, a kid and I was actually there myself. Yeah. And uh, later on, when I go back to Tita, I had a, a much more extensive interview uh, with Ingrid. So, and, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, it sounds like on, on a little bit on that and, and some of the ones that, that maybe didn't even pan out, but other, others that obviously did, it sounds like some of it was sort of more just uh, kind of more guerrilla fi- filmmaking where you just showed up and hoped to have an interview, and, and in many cases you did. Right. And it's really actually quite surprising how much you can get by just showing up to places. Yeah. Uh, but but also uh, for the uh, interviews with Peter Singer and Temple Grandin and so forth, uh, what I did is I, I interviewed a lot of colleagues who are actually equally uh, good at explaining these topics and who are also in the film. Yeah. But just because there are fewer requests, they're easier to to reach. Sure. And then once I did the interviews with them and their colleagues of these other people who spoke with them and told them that I was legitimate and that I was asking the right questions and so forth, then I was able to get these interviews with people like Peter Singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's uh, that's great. So kind of in a way, some of those at one level or another then would sort of beget the next ones uh, just because, uh, as you said, you had sort of been uh, vetted and checked out and... Uh, Right. Uh, uh, recommended, I guess, in some cases. Right. In fact, when I first tried to interview Peter Singer, he, he um, said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm just too busy and received too many requests and so forth. And then I, I went back later after I interviewed all of his colleagues and was able to convince him to give me some time. And of course, now that he's seen the movie and, and likes it very much, he's been uh, actively uh, promoting it. No, no, that that's great, and and so you know that might bring me to to what how would you characterize? Because again, as we touched on earlier, it, it, it's sort of episodic, and it sort of charts your your journey, and and sort of you know showing up at places, and trying to do interviews, and trying to learn as you go. How would you uh, now that it's obviously all done and and out there? Um, how would you characterize the film's kind of intended message or or, or mission? Well, my intent is still to put the facts and arguments out there and let people decide for themselves. Uh, I, I think as I learned about the topic as I was making this film, I realized that what goes on behind the scenes at factory farms, both in terms of um, how animals are kept inside of those buildings and also, of course, in terms of the environmental destruction, like we can uh, talk about if you'd like yeah, the, um, the, there's clearly something very serious going on. And then in terms of the philosophical arguments, the arguments that Peter Singer and others put forward that uh, are actually, in hindsight, very straightforward, that, that suffering uh, is a bad thing, that we, that's a basic ethical principle that we hold among humans. And so they ask, well, how do we justify uh, not extending that to non-human animals because they're also capable of suffering? That also seems seems now that I've uh, made this film, and as I was finishing working on it, something very straight straightforward, and clearly there's something to that. But you know, you never know the answers, and I don't claim to know the answers myself. And so I I really 
um, aimed to keep the film something that was there to to let the viewers uh, decide for themselves. Sure. And, and again, I think you you know you present a lot of information and and give yeah give the viewer a, a lot to work with and then yeah I'm sure each uh, viewer will then uh, sort of process that and and come to conclusion based on obviously their own experiences I mean, the, and yeah I mean the, yeah I mean I, I, it's interesting because because now I just finished doing um, the, the main premieres in New York and, and Los Angeles and and Chicago and, and DC and San Francisco although now we're because of the uh, the success of the premieres we're actually doing an extended uh, stay in New York and Los Angeles in, in November well let's anyway. let's talk a little bit about that just for a sec mark I mean talk a little bit about the premieres uh, that have happened and the response and then right. uh, for people who are listening online or might you know find themselves uh, out in one of those places when the next round come up but uh, to just maybe give a little sense of how that went and some of the forthcoming dates right yeah, well what when I was uh, one of the things I was going to say just uh, in response to your question also about about the uh, the aim for the film in terms of it being about people uh, deciding for themselves. Uh, the reactions have been extraordinary. I, I mean, I I saw in preview screenings that people people were really affected by the film, but even more so in the um, in the actual premieres. I mean, I I still receive uh, emails or or just have people come up to me in in various places uh, telling me that the the movie really dramatically affected their thinking. Uh, for and, and can you give us an example or two of, of how they how they articulated what 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 the effect it did have on their thinking? Yeah, they they say things like I I never thought of animals that way before. I never thought of the idea that um, what is going on in terms of the way we look at animals may be a prejudice similar to prejudices like racism in uh, the times of. Uh, you know the the human uh, slave trade. Um, the the people also uh, tell me oftentimes that they'll contact. I've actually been uh, contacted after preview screenings months later with people smiling, telling me they they still think about the film often, that they uh, speak with their spouse about it, and and then people have come back to actually other preview screenings after uh, having come to some preview screenings uh, with you know, their spouse or, and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it's been, uh, it's been really quite remarkable seeing the reaction. I, I really didn't anticipate it. And I think a lot of it was, was luck in terms of the things that we were able to get off screen. Yeah, I see. Well, let, let's let people know too, that uh, we'll come back to this, but, uh, but uh, there is a website speciesismthemovie.com where there's information about the film and the trailers there as well. And then, um, screenings, uh, that have come and gone, but, uh, but just roughly right. when, when, are the, sounds like there is another round, at least in New York and yes. LA, when, when, when are those scheduled for? In Los Angeles, it will actually be, uh, reopening this Friday, November 8th and then continue to the 14th. Okay. And in New York, it will be opening on the 14th and continue to the 20th. And as you say, if you go to the website, which also, by the way, has the trailer where you'll actually be able to see some of those those initial confrontations at the egg farm. Yeah. Um, uh, the website is speciesismthemovie.com. So speciesism is the word species, as in a species of animal, and then I-S-M, like in racism, speciesismthemovie.com. And I'm sure people interested will go there, but just real quick, Mark, what, what, what theater is uh, the L.A. Uh, show, uh, screenings, and what theater is the New York oh, yeah, screenings? It's a, it, it's a theater right in downtown L.A. called Downtown Independent. Okay. And in New York, it's at a theater in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, called Indie Screen. Great. We, um, yeah, we, it's interesting. We did the, um, the premiere... Uh, the world premiere in Manhattan, and there was actually a lot of interest from from Brooklyn, uh, from people who couldn't make it uh, over in time, uh, and so I realized putting it right in the middle of Brooklyn and um, or right in between Brooklyn and Manhattan, right over the bridge from Manhattan, was a was a good spot for the additional screening for sure. Well, so let's, uh, we've kind of uh, brushed up against it a few times and made some, you know, references, but maybe you could just take a moment and really talk about what, what you mean or what the film means by speciesism. Well, in the 70s, uh, Peter Singer published a book called Animal Liberation, 
uh, in which he argued that the, the basic ethical principles that we hold among humans, that causing suffering, causing harm is a bad thing, extend to members of other species because they're capable of suffering. And so he argued that our sort of unthinking assumption against taking seriously the suffering of members of other species is a form of prejudice, similar to prejudices against groups of humans, like racism and sexism. And so he and, and people who uh, uh, followed, like David DeGrazia and Dale Jameson, argue uh, that there isn't anything special about humans when we think about it that justifies this distinction we draw. Uh, we usually think, you know, human problems are the, the big problems, and, and things pertaining to animals are things that we might care about if we have certain sentiments for animals, but not because they really matter for their own sake in a serious way, the way serious human problems matter, like poverty and war. Uh, and, but if we can't justify thinking that humans are uh, more important in terms of these same basic ethical principles applying to non-human animals, it really changes uh, the way one looks at the world, if there's something to those arguments. Yeah. And uh, and so it sounds like really with uh, the people who that you've heard from either immediately or, or even, you know, sometime later that have been to the screenings, that that you have really kind of, you know, uh, opened that kind of dialogue in a, in a meaningful right. way. Right. And that's what I would... Um, one of the things that I was particularly glad about with that is because with a lot of other films, and there are a lot of wonderful films out there about animals, um, but the, the intel, that intellectual um, uh, centerpiece, the, the underlying issue of asking what it is that we think is special about humans that justifies thinking we're more important, I, I was very glad to be able to get that across in a film. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that, that seems to have affected people particularly much, especially college students, graduate students, and, and people who are, are interested in, um, in intellectual uh, subjects. Right. So, so uh, Mark, uh, you mentioned that in the wake of the screenings, you, you were sort of, you know, surprised, gratified, pleasantly surprised by, by the response. But in the course of making the film, what, what sort of emerged as the biggest revelation for you personally uh, in, in the making of it? Well, I, actually, uh, very similar to to the revelations, you might say, that people who, who watch the film have had, mm -hmm. uh, because I, because I um, actually describe in the film exactly what I was thinking and, and feeling yeah. as I came across this, um, this, this line of argument that you know, if if we think, for example, that that uh, language or our ability to um, in, be moral agents, to think and act on ethical principles and so forth, are things that are that make humans more important, well, there are many humans, babies and intellectually disabled people and senile people who lack the ability to use language or uh, have a high level of intellect and so forth. And so, of course, we don't exclude uh, those people from ethics, and we certainly don't put them on factory farm. So that really struck me. The more I, the more I really looked into it and tried very hard to find a reason to think that to, to um, conclude that humans are more important, uh, the more it started changing my perception of the world. That maybe this really is a situation in which the overwhelming majority of the world is wrong. Uh, just like they were wrong uh, in the case of, of, for example, human slavery, mm -hmm. and that there's something of tremendous uh, monumental significance going on, perhaps more significant than uh, any other uh, ethical issue, perhaps in history, uh, if there are billions of animals whose who's suffering matters as important as, uh, as much as our own. Uh, on on conditions of of extreme suffering for their entire lives that that it, it, that's very very hard to get your your head around that if that's really true you're basically living in a completely different world from the one you thought you were living in and that was my experience in in making the film and um, hopefully uh, comes across in in watching it as well. 
Sure. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it does. And again, I think that's underscored by, by the, the response that you reported from people who have seen the film that that has definitely, I think, uh, hit a lot of people kind of, you know, squarely right where they live and right where they where they think. So we're, we're, uh, we're talking with uh, Mark DeVries, director of the new documentary film Speciesism, the movie. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes left uh, with Mark. We want you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663 or emailing DJ at WMNF.org. One of our emailers, uh, Mark, um, and the subject line says, fantastic guest, and says, this is such an important topic. Thanks for bringing attention to it. Um, how has making this film uh, changed the way you eat? That's a great question. I, um, I became vegan in making the film. When I started making the film, I was not, and uh, now I am. <laughs> and what that means uh, is I... I um, avoid eating animal products mm-hmm. uh, because uh, most animal products are products of factory farming and, and even the ones that aren't um, are products of an industry as a whole that views animals as economic commodities. And if we really think that non-human animals' interests are comparably, even comparably important to our own, the notion of having an industry that uses them as economic commodities just because we uh, are in the habit of doing something like eating their corpses uh, is very. Um, it doesn't seem to um, doesn't seem to be justifiable. So I, I looked into, and you'll actually see in the film. I, I said, well, gee, you know, there there are really good arguments for being vegetarian and even for being vegan. Uh, so how you know is it is it really difficult to do, or is the is there good you know vegan meat, for example. And as it happens, just over the past few years, I mean, less than a decade, there has been an explosion of vegan meat products and uh, in the marketplace, both at restaurants and, you know, at Whole Foods and even regular supermarkets that are quite surprisingly good. I I mean, just in the past maybe five years, uh, the difference has been significant. In fact, uh, people have actually tried uh, some of the things that are shown in the film and, and not realized that they were not eating actual chicken, for example. Yeah. So, so it was easier than it was easier than uh, than I anticipated. Well, that's cool. Well, I, um, I, I, I'm frankly not surprised because there are, you know, there, there's more than a handful of sort of jarring uh, images in, in the in the film, and one that comes to mind as you were talking about making that change was uh, in, in the area surrounding one of the the, the pig farms. There's uh, a like basically, essentially, uh, I guess for lack of a better phrase, a pig poo sprinkler right where the pig farms right. you know sort of distribute all the manure yeah. in a sprinkler like fashion it's like wow um, i think that was yeah I, I would think that was the most uh jarring experience that yeah. i had in making the, the entire film uh in terms of I, I guess visually jarring in terms of the actual adventures i went on i mean these, yeah. these pig farms in north carolina have thousands of pigs in a single building yeah and the pig manure it uh, goes through these Flatted floors, these concrete flatted floors into giant open air cesspools that are the size of a football field. And there are literally hundreds of these scattered through eastern North Carolina. So there are these huge open air cesspools, just like if you had, imagine you had a, a small city and just all of the sewage just went into a big lake right next to the city. That's what it's like. Wow. And then to get rid of it, uh, they actually, not to be unnecessarily gross here, but, but to get rid of it, uh, as you say, they spray it up into the air where it actually turns to mist and then uh, ends up drifting right over to neighbors' houses, literally onto their houses, into their houses, and it's destroying their lives. And we spoke with some of these neighbors who have to deal with pig farms having moved in and now spraying pig manure basically on their house. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, so, uh, Mark, we're uh, probably just maybe have about a, a, a minute left. I want to quickly read one more email and then ask you one more question in our remaining a moment here. This emailer uh, says, I'd like to extend a huge thank you to Mr. DeVries for his deeply important work. Everyone should see this film. So that's... Uh, so that's nice. Now, uh, let's uh, just touch on, on your on your future a little bit. Uh, you graduated college, obviously, and then you really worked hard to finish the film. And if I'm uh, not mistaken, you're attending law school currently. That's correct. So yes. what sort of law do you foresee practicing or, or, or otherwise sort of what career do you see kind of uh, pursuing once you uh, are out of law school? Well, I went to law school thinking that the film was not going to work out. I just assumed, as you know, as generally the, the case that the film, you know, I was going to make the film and it was going to go somewhere, but not particularly far. Uh, because of the reactions to the film, uh, it looks like I will indeed actually be able to go into uh, filmmaking rather than law, which I, I certainly prefer, and I think I'll be able to be uh, doing more valuable work uh, going into filmmaking than law. Law is also, by the way, for listeners perhaps, uh, many who, who know because they're either law students or lawyers. Uh, it's very boring. <laughs> well, especially after the kind of uh, adventures uh, you, you've had uh, making this film and again, then seeing the, uh, yeah, the really uh, yeah, gratifying response. Well, that's great to know that you'll uh, be out there uh, doing more of this kind of work and uh, we we'll look forward to kind of keeping uh, tabs. You've been speaking with Mark DeVries. Again, he's the director of the new film Speciesism, the movie. The website is speciesismthemovie.com and there's also a Facebook page. And uh, Mark, thanks so much for making the time to join us today on Talking Animals. Thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. All right, in just a few minutes, we'll speak with Kendra Bailey of Health Mutt, which is celebrating its second anniversary this Saturday, November 9th. Right now, though, let's step into the Talking Animals Comedy Corner with Factory Farming in mind. I wanted to hook in something at least vaguely related, though decidedly unrelated to factory farming. This is Drew Hastings with a portion of a bit called Farming 101 on today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals. Well... It's probably obvious to most of you that I'm a farmer. That's essentially what I do. I farm. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Believe it or not, I have not farmed that long. I've only been a farmer. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good... About two years. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. So uh, we'll be in I, uh, touch. I've been an urban guy my whole life. I always lived work. I lived in New York, Los Angeles. Yeah, I lived in San so Francisco for a while. And, you know, I was coming on 50, and I said, you know what? To hell with this. I'm going to go back to Midwest, where I'm from. I'm going to get myself a farm. You know? Well, I'll be honest. I don't even know how I got a farm. My credit score is six. <laughs> I had to use my Speedway points on my financial statement. So I get this farm, and I don't know how many of you here have ever lived rural or in the country, but Jesus, it, it is creepy out there. If you're not, it is creepy. They'll tell you, at night, sun goes down, pitch black. Did you know that at night, possum, walking through a cornfield sounds exactly like three men with an ax. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of owl makes this sound? You're gonna die. <laughs> I kid you not, I am not making this up. My place is so far out there, Domino's Pizza will not deliver to me. I've never even heard of anything. Like, I call Domino's now, oh, we don't come that far. You're gonna have to drive up Newmarket Community Center. Pull in the parking lot, flash your lights. We'll meet you, like it's a drug deal. <laughs> do, do you have the pizza? Yes, do you have the money? Of course I got the money. Did anyone follow you here? They all drive tractors, for Christ's sakes. All right, that was Drew Hastings. Sorry about the uh, mic being left on there after the interview with uh, Mark. But he was with a portion of Farming 101 taken from his album, Irked and Miffed. All right, she's the owner of Health Mud here in the Tampa. Let's welcome Kendra Bailey to Talking Animals. Good morning, Kendra. Good, how are you doing? Very good. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Absolutely. So l let's first just uh, start at the, the basics. What is Health Mutt? So Health Mutt is a natural pet market with a self-service dog wash, and we're located in historical Seminole Heights, which is in Tampa. 
Cool. Well, that uh, that kind of hits it in a, in a succinct nutshell. And uh, so, so folks, if I'm not mistaken, chiefly come for for uh, the food and, and the products. But uh, but again, they uh, if they uh, want to if they have a a, a little a mutt that needs cleaning, uh, there there's also a facility set up for that. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're one of the only people in town that offers the self service dog wash. But we do have stuff for both cats and dogs. Uh, we really focus on quality and nutrition. Uh, we're family owned. It's just me and my parents. So everything in our store, uh, you know, we wanted to be able to stand by it, be proud of it. So, you know, everything in our store is quality items that have a benefit. We're not going to have anything with, you know, wheat, corn, soy, fillers, byproducts, anything like that. So that's really important to us. Uh, nutrition is really, really important to us since the name Health Mutt. Um, and we just want to make sure that if, you know, anyone comes in and has a question or a concern about, you know, any topic about animal health, you know, your pet's overweight, your pet uh, is a picky eater, has lots of shedding, anything like that. We want to make sure that, you know, we can definitely help you out. Right. So you guys uh, do uh, offer some some help or even consulting in that regard. And then I think, at least indirectly, I believe there's there's uh, training and other stuff too if people uh, are, mm-hmm. are looking. So so pretty much uh, you, you kind of wear a lot of hats over there at Health Mutt. <laughs> yeah, we try to. You know, we're in a neighborhood, so we really try to be a neighborhood store and provide, yeah, all different services, you know, so we have everything that, that people need. And Kendra, let me ask you this, is, is Health Mutt a franchise? No. No, no okay, because I didn't think so, but then um, I was looking around on the internet and stuff, and there seemed like there was a handful of other Health Mutts elsewhere, and I thought, okay, either it's coincidental or maybe it is sort of a... Uh, yeah, I know that there's a Health Mutt in Seattle mm-hmm. uh, that opened, like, right after us, and then there's some other health mutt that's like in the UK. So okay, yeah, I, I thought I saw at least thought the name was cute. Yeah, well, I, I think I thought I saw at least one other in the states besides the Seattle one. But uh, so anyway, yeah. So you mentioned you're in Seminole Heights, and and uh, I was going to ask this, and actually had someone email in earlier that that kind of had the same notion of of just how how it's been. I mean, you're you're marking your second year anniversary this Saturday, which is one of the reasons we're we're talking now. Has there been any particular thing that that you guys have have done to to sort of make make it work just generally a new business but also in Seminole Heights well you know we feel so blessed to be in Seminole Heights it's where I live so of course it's where I wanted to work um because I just I really enjoy the neighborhood but honestly it's the customers we have just we have the best customers in the world I really believe that um they really value knowledge and education and want to do right by their pet um so, you know, they've really welcomed us with, with open arms. Cool, cool, cool. All right, so uh, to, to sort of mark that, as we've noted, um, this Saturday is the uh, anniversary, two-year anniversary. So so what's on tap to um, to sort of mark the big, uh, the big day? Yeah, so it's going to be this Saturday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. We're going to have Dogma there, which is a rescue group. So they're going to have all different breeds of adoptable dogs. We're also going to have raffle prizes with all of the proceeds going to Dogma. We're going to have sales. We're going to have vendors and pet nutrition experts there. And we're also going to have a goodie bag uh, for customers who spend over $100. The goodie bag's uh, valued at over $130, so it's a pretty good deal. And then we're going to have Southern Brewing and Winemaking giving out craft uh, beer samples as well. Wow! All right. Well, that's uh, that's a full slate of activities for a place that isn't you know all that all that big. But it sounds like you're uh, you're uh, shoehorning in a lot of fun and a lot of activities. So um, so let's let fe- folks know we're just about out of time here, Kendra. Um, the the website for for uh, for Health Mutt. It's TampaHealthMutt.com. And you guys are also have a nice presence on Facebook as well. Try to. Yep. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. All right, well, uh, congratulations on the second year anniversary, and thanks for uh, for joining us today on Talking Animals. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Absolutely, bye-bye now. Bye. All right, I'm Duncan Strauss. Towards the uh, end of the show, we'll play Name That Animal Tune. The winner will receive a uh, copy of The Genius of Dogs by Dr. Brian Hare. Talking Animals guest who was kind enough to sign the uh, the copy of the book. And uh, we'll get to that in a f- moment or two here on Talking Animals. Right now, though, it's um, time for some animal news and announcements. 
So I thought I'd be reading a very different story uh, regarding horse slaughter because um, it looked like a couple of days ago, over the weekend at least, that horse slaughter in the U.S. would resume. And instead, taking this from Reuters, a federal appeals court on Monday granted an emergency request by animal protection groups to temporarily block the U.S. government from conducting inspections of horses destined for slaughter. The 10th U.S. Circuit of Court of Appeals in Denver issued a temporary injunction barring the U.S. Department of Agriculture from providing horse meat inspection services to Roswell, New York-based Valley Meat Company, Responsible Transportation in Iowa, and Rains Natural Meats in Missouri. The order comes after a U.S. District Judge in New Mexico on Friday threw out a lawsuit which the Humane Society of the United States and other animal protection groups had filed in July that sought to permanently halt the slaughter of horses. So far more locally here, Hillsborough County Animal Services to temporarily change operations for dog intake and adoptions. Hillsborough County Animal Services to first uh, today. This was posted on uh, Monday on their website. Uh, announced a new flu virus is affecting dogs at the shelter. While the virus is not contagious to people or cats, the only way to get rid of the virus is to quarantine all the dogs staying at the shelter. So during the next two weeks, the shelter will only accept sick or injured dogs. Dogs that have bit someone, dangerous dogs. Uh, quote, we expect the situation to last for two weeks or until the veterinarians determine that the virus has left the building, said Ian Hallett, Animal Services Director. To find out more, uh, you can go to the website, hillsboroughcounty.org, and click on News and Announcements, and they'll give you more information about if you're trying to turn in your own dog or if you found a lot do- lost dog or other uh, situations, um, how you can proceed given this uh, temporary situation there. Also saw this uh, in the New York Times on a blog. A dog's tail wag says a lot to other dogs is the headline. When dogs wag their tails, they can convey not just happiness, but a wide array of emotions. As Italian researchers reported in 2007, a wag to the left indicates negative emotions. A wag to the right indicates positive ones. Now, the same team of scientists has found that no one knows this better than other dogs. In a new study reported... In the journal Current Biology, the researchers had dogs watch videos of other dogs wagging their tails. When watching the tail wag to the left, the dog showed signs of anxiety, like a higher heart rate. When the tail went to the opposite direction, they remained calm. Taken together, the Italian studies suggest that dogs, like humans, have asymmetrically organized brains. The Giorgio Velatiagra, a neuroscientist at the University of Trento, and an author of the study. The emotions are associated presumably with activation of either the right or left side of the brain, he said. Left brain activation produces a wag to the right and vice versa. Still, it is unlikely that dogs are wagging their tails to communicate with one another. This is simply that could be explained in uh, quite a mechanistic way, Dr. Villatiagra said. It's simply a byproduct of the asymmetry of the brain and dogs learn to recognize the pattern over time. Again, some things happening locally here, starting with tomorrow night, November 7th. Hounds of the Harbor, that's uh, taking place at Safety Harbor Resort and Spa. Again, tomorrow night, November 7th, from 6 to 9 p.m. And that's uh, something uh, being put on by Humane Society of Pinellas. It's their annual dinner. You can uh, make a reservation, find out more about going to humanesocietyofpinellas.org. But it's a mystery dinner, and uh, there's also going to be a silent auction, live auction, and much more. So again, you can go to the website, HumaneSocietyOfPinellas.org, or call 727-797-7722, extension 229. Also tomorrow night in Hyde Park Village, the Humane Society of Tampa Bay will host Woofstock, a far-out dog-friendly music festival to benefit cool cats and doggy dudes and dudettes, of course. So uh, there'll be uh, songs, uh, tunes from Eccentric and Phase 5, vendors, food trucks, and more. And uh, you can find out about that by going to humanesocietytampa.org. And as we uh, learned last week when we uh, had Gene uh, Doobie from uh, Sarasota Audubon on, just want to remind you that this uh, Saturday, November 9th, they're having their first annual Celery Fields Birdathon. It's an educational uh, morning for uh, kids uh, up through uh, 18 years old who uh, get to uh, do sort of a bird watching competition and they receive prizes. You can uh, register if you're interested by uh, emailing info at sarasotaaudubon.org or uh, simply find out more by uh, going to sarasotaaudubon.org or calling 941-724-1700.
1.09. And I think that's going to do it probably for uh, this edition. Just want to look ahead a little bit, though. The uh, 2013 Florida March Against Cruelty to Animals will be uh, happening Saturday, November 16th. We'll gather at noon at Hyzenga Park in Fort Lauderdale. But it's for uh, people who care about animals from Key West, Tallahassee, Tampa, Orlando, and beyond. The idea, purpose of the march is to learn and think about uh, and stop supporting cruelty to animals in all forms, including uh, animal agriculture, zoos, circuses, hunting, rodeos, puppy mills, greyhound racing, animal testing, horse racing, sequariums, and more. So you can find out a lot about that or more, all the details at March Against Cruelty to animals.org. All right. Let's uh, move on now to Name That Animal Tune. I'm Duncan Strauss. The website is TalkingAnimals.net. It's time to proceed to, uh, indeed, Name That Animal Tune. This is a giveaway. You do not need to be a WMNF member to win, and there'll be a prize. The winner will receive a copy of The Genius of Dogs, signed by uh, the author, Dr. Brian Hare, to the first person who calls in the correct title of this animal song to 813-239-9663. Admittedly, this one's a bit of bleak as animal tunes go, but we can't make them all easy. Come on. It's named an animal tune on Talking Animals. All right, we'll take any guesses that come in. Off the air. We have just about reached today's edition of End of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. We'll be back next Wednesday for another edition. Go to TalkingAnimals.net for the Facebook, link to the Facebook page, Twitter feed, and more on archives on all possible shows and iTunes podcasts. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself with an animal song that's rocking. Festive... Touch nutty, this is King Kong and Barbecue Show with Animal Party on WMNF, Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wiki Wachi, and beyond. Thanks for listening. Speak of you again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. on Talking Animals. Thanks. Thank you.